Amen. So today we are once again going to sit with Jesus and learn from Him as He gives us His famous Sermon on the Mount. And uh, today is an especially interesting one for the practice of Christianity for modern people, because today we are dealing with questions about some of the antiquated and outdated laws that we find in the Bible. And we're going to try to give a good answer for why we feel obligated to follow uh, most of the rules in the Bible, but we feel free to ignore others. Um, and as only necessary for people who lived long ago in a different time and place and, and, uh, and a different cultural environment. So there's a lot to say about this topic, so we're just going to dive right into it. Um, here is the text for today from Jesus' sermon, Matthew chapter 5, whoops, um, starting with verse uh, 17. It says... Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly, will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So this is a pretty dense section of Scripture Jesus is saying a lot of important stuff in just a few verses, so it's time for us all to engage your brain. This is one that's going to uh, require uh, a lot of thinking and engagement and processing as we talk about it, because there's a lot of kind of big, complicated things here. So in order to really understand more about what Jesus is getting at here, you have to read this in the context of the sermon, especially the section of the sermon that comes... Uh, after this, that which is the, the rest of chapter 5, uh, for the next 29 verses, Jesus gives us a series of teachings where he says, you have heard it was said, and then he quotes something from uh, the Law and the Prophets, and then he says, but I tell you, and he gives his own take on that particular part of the law. But we're not going to look at that section today. Um, that section uh, is, uh, for, our, for our sermon today, that section you're going to have to wait for two weeks. Um, we're not going to get to it next week either because uh, this is a, a, a really interesting and, and important section and Pastor Mike really wanted to do it himself. And so uh, we're, we're going a little bit out of order. Uh, Pastor Brian next week is going to bring us the first part of chapter 6. And then when Mike gets back the week after, he'll be doing this uh, section, the rest of chapter 5. Um, so, um, the point of saying that is to say that we won't be done with seeking to understand what Jesus is saying in this section until we have read what he says in the rest of this chapter, and Mike will fill you in on all that in a couple of weeks. So, if you feel like I'm leaving some questions unanswered and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of skipping over some stuff here, don't worry. Uh, uh, I've told Mike that I'm telling you this, that he's going to explain it all when he gets back. So... Um, 
So for now, let's, uh, we're going to go back and we're going to go through our passage for today a little more slowly and see what it says. It says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. So firstly, we need to understand uh, what does Jesus mean by the law and the prophets? Um, well, this was a common way that people used to refer to the Bible. They hadn't yet invented that title for uh, the scriptures. They in, the word Bible hadn't been uh, come up with yet. So when they referred to the scriptures, they called it the law and the prophets. And it meant all, everything that we now call the Old Testament. And, and it's all of it. The law and the prophets... Uh, is not a term that means certain sections of the Old Testament, you know, the Ten Commandments or something. No, it's the whole thing is the law and the prophets. And Jesus says he has not come to abolish the Bible, right? So why would anyone think that? Um, Well, when you look at the next section where Jesus is going to say, you have heard, but I say, it kind of sounds like... uh, He is saying, forget what you heard before. That's no longer valid. Listen now to what I'm giving you something new. Um, From now on, listen to me. Forget about Moses and Isaiah and Jeremiah and the rest of those guys. Um, So that might be what people were thinking. Or some people maybe heard that Jesus didn't follow the rules regarding the Sabbath and regarding uh, some of the ritual rules about hand washing and things like that. And so uh, they might have been thinking, oh, Jesus is telling us we don't have to follow the rules anymore. He's he's doing away with all that stuff. But Jesus is clarifying here, no, I am not here to abolish the law. In fact, Jesus says, not the slightest part of the law will be abolished until it is all fulfilled and accomplished. And then he warns us that anyone who sets aside the least of the biblical commands is doing it wrong, while those who practice the commands are doing it right. And especially if you teach others to ignore the commands and teach others to keep the commands, that will multiply uh, your uh, errors or your greatness. And then the last verse today is another warning, this time that our righteousness must be better than what the Pharisees are doing. Now, we generally think of the Pharisees as hypocrites, but they were also staunch rule followers. These guys never ate anything that wasn't kosher. They, uh, they tithed 10%, not just on their paychecks, but also of what grew in their backyard gardens. Like, that's income too. I'm going to take 10% of that and tithe on it. But Jesus says that if you want to be a Christian, you got to do even better than that. You've got you to do better than these strict rule followers. So Jesus is saying that we need to follow the Old Testament rules. And he says that he's not come to do away with the law. He is giving us a couple of warnings about not following the rules. And whatever conclusions we come to about how we modern Christians relate to the Old Testament rules, um, we cannot simply throw out all of that and say, we live in a new time. And since Jesus came, he has abolished the law. So, remember when I said you need to have your brain engaged here and you need to be thinking and and, and this is where it's going. I'm going to try to speak as clearly as possible, but I need you to really be thinking here. So Jesus did say here in these verses that 
uh, he had not come, or that he had come to fulfill the law and the prophets. And he put a kind of a contingency on the necessity of, uh, uh, at least of the stroke of a pen disappearing, he said, until everything is accomplished. So has he done that? Has the Old Testament been fulfilled and accomplished? So now we can do away with it? No. No, that's not what's going on. It wouldn't make any sense for him to say, I have not come to abolish the law, but give me a couple of months and I'll abolish it then. No, it has not been, not been done away with. When Jesus says that he has come to fulfill the law and the prophets, he is not saying that once he's done that, then we no longer have to follow it. Until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter will disappear. But let's look at something that happens a few chapters later in the Gospel of Matthew. In chapter 15, we find that some uh, religious leaders uh, are unhappy with Jesus and his disciples, and they question him about why they're not washing their hands properly before they eat, as was required by the ritual purification laws. And part of Jesus' answer comes in chapter 15, verses 10 and 11 where he says, uh, Listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. So Jesus' disciples had grown up with all the rules about kosher foods and hand washings and all these things that were... Uh, and, and so they were quite confused by what Jesus was saying here, right? There's, there's quite a few places in the Old Testament where it tells us that eating certain kinds of foods uh, will defile you. If you eat pork or you eat uh, shellfish or different things. So, so they came to Jesus with a follow-up question. In verse 15, it says, uh, Peter said, explain the parable to us. Are you so dull, Jesus asked them. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body. But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. So we read that and we think, yeah, that makes perfect sense. But to people who grew up with the Old Testament dietary laws and heard Jesus say, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law. Now what he's saying is mind-blowing. There was smoke coming from their ears as they were trying to process this. In fact, in the Gospel of Mark, he tells the same story that Matthew is telling here. And at his, in his Gospel, he gives a little editorial comment at the end. He says, uh, by saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. So is Jesus doing the exact thing that he said in the Sermon on the Mount not to do? Is he setting aside the least of these commands and teaching others accordingly? No, he is not. 
Another famous example of this kind of thing is Jesus' frequent clashes with the other religious leaders of his day is about how to keep the Sabbath. And if we go beyond Jesus himself and look at the rest of the New Testament, we find that Christians pretty quickly abandoned many of the specific instructions of the Old Testament. And you and I have followed their lead in that today. Now, what I want to do next, uh, we're going to spend most of the rest of our time here looking at some of the rules from the Old Testament and see what are we even talking about here when we talk about the law What are we talking about? So we're going to go back to Leviticus, and we're going to go back to Leviticus chapter 19. So turn your Bible there or open your Bible app to Leviticus 19, and we are going to uh, take a look at what what kinds of laws are we we even talking about here. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I wanted to read the whole chapter, but it's a bit long, so I'm going to skip a bit here and there, but you, you should be able to follow along with me, or you can follow along on the screen where it'll show all the parts that I'm reading. Leviticus 19, starting with verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, Be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Each of you must respect your father and mother, and you must observe my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols or make metal gods for yourselves. I am the Lord your God. When you sacrifice a fellowship offering to the Lord, sacrifice it in such a way that it will be accepted on your behalf. And the instructions for that are told in another part of Leviticus, but he's kind of summarizing here. It shall be eaten on the day you sacrifice it or on the next day. Anything left over until the third day must be burned up. And then he gives some more instructions there about how to and when to eat it. Um, We're going to skip down a little bit to verse 9. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not deceive one another. Do not swear falsely by my name, and so profane the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord. Do not defraud or rob your neighbor. Do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear your God. I am the Lord. Do not pervert justice or uh, show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. I'm going to skip a little bit here down to verse 26. Do not eat any meat with the blood still in it. Do not practice divination or seek omens. Do not cut the hair on the sides of your head or clip off the edges of your beard. Do not cut your bodies for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourselves. I am the Lord. Verse 30. Observe my Sabbaths and have reverence for my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Do not turn to mediums or seek out spiritists, for you will be defiled by them. I am the Lord. Stand in the presence of the aged. 
Show respect for the elderly and revere your God. I am the Lord. When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. That's a lot of stuff. But that's just a sample of the kinds of laws that we have in the Bible. So how would you describe those laws? Are those moral laws? Are they ceremonial laws? Are they civil laws? Well, they're God's laws. And however we might categorize them for our own studies, the Bible pretty clearly does not see a difference between a law that says, do not reap to the very edges of your field, leave them for the poor and the foreigner, or do not eat any meat with the blood still in it, or do not uh, defraud or rob your neighbor, or do not cut off the hair on the sides of your head or clip the edges of your beard. All of those are God's laws. And God's laws are not broken out into categories where some are ceremonial purity laws, others are civil and economic laws, others are moral laws. No, they're all God's laws. That means that when it comes to answering the question of what we modern Christians are supposed to do with the laws of the Bible, we cannot just say that one category, like ceremonial ceremonial purity laws, we're just going to do away with all those, but we're going to keep others. That's not a category. There's no categories. It's all just God's law. And according to Jesus, we can't set aside even the least small piece of it. And yet, as I'm sure you noticed as I read through those, there were a number of things that came up in there that we don't do right? Um, We are not following these laws. Sabbath-keeping came up twice in Leviticus 19. Uh, There's instructions about how to properly eat the sacrifices that you make at the temple. Uh, Verses 26 to 28 are a good illustration. Do not eat any meat with the blood still in it. Do not practice divination or seek omens. Do not cut the hair at the sides of your head or clip off the edges of your beard. Do not cut your bodies for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourselves. I am the Lord. So we today feel fine with uh, eating meat that wasn't slaughtered according to the kosher kosher rules and uh, to drain on all the blood and stuff during the process. We don't feel any obligation to avoid certain hairstyles or to we feel free to trim our beards however we want to. Um, Most of us are fine with tattoos. I have three tattoos. I'm fine with that. But we still believe practicing divination is sinful, even though it's just right here in the middle of this list. So here's the problem with this situation. Most of us believe that we're free not to follow many of these laws, but that others are necessary. And we don't know why. And then Jesus says, we can't set aside the least stroke of a pen. 
And then Jesus says, don't worry about eating anything you want to eat, which seems to be setting aside quite a few instructions, like the one here about eating meat with blood in it. And Jesus says he's going to fulfill all of the law and the prophets. So, are we right to think that it's okay to get whatever haircut we want and to trim our beards and get tattoos? Or should we be keeping the Sabbath? Should we be eating kosher? Should we be offering sheep and goats as sacrifices and eating them within two days? So, so far I've raised a lot of questions, right? Ready for some answers? <laughs> I got a couple of answers here. Okay, here's, here's my big paragraph. This is also part of the fill-in on the back of the bulletin if you're doing that. This is uh, the core of the answer to the question. Jesus has fulfilled the entire Old Testament, including everything in the Law and the Prophets. And that does change the way that we follow the teachings of the Bible. But it changes it in a way that does not set any of it aside. Rather, the eternal principles that are taught in the Bible are always kept, while the specific applications of those principles are sometimes kept and sometimes changed to fit a new reality. There's a lot in that paragraph there. Uh, we're going to focus on how this relates, especially to the instructions and rules and regulations and the laws like we find here in Leviticus 19. It also applies to the whole rest of the New Testament, or the Old Testament, but, uh, but we're, we're going to focus on how it applies to these kinds of instructions. So, Jesus has fulfilled Leviticus 19, and so we look at it differently then someone would have looked at it during the time between Moses uh, on Mount Sinai and the coming of Jesus. But that does not mean that we set aside these instructions. This is still a reflection of the will of God for human behavior. So how do we recognize the continuing validity of all of these instructions from Leviticus 19 while we look at it through the lens of Jesus. So here is how we are to understand commands like these. These commands are a reflection of the eternal, universal, moral law of God. Now, I got kind of tired of typing that phrase over and over. I'm going to get tired of saying it over and over because this is the key. Did you hear what exactly I said there? The eternal, universal, moral law of God. And it is the eternal, universal, moral law of God that is binding on all people for all time, and we must never set it aside. So how does Leviticus 19 relate to the eternal, universal, moral law of God? Well, it is an expression of that law given by God to be followed during a particular era of salvation history. Leviticus 19 is not itself the eternal, universal, moral law of God, but it is an expression of that law. 
So think about this for a moment. Were people obligated to behave in a way that was in line with the will of God before God gave the law at Mount Sinai? Which was also before any other part of the Bible was written, by the way. So Abraham and Sarah and Joseph and Rebecca and Noah and Job and many, many other people who lived before there was any written law of God. What was their, what was their obligation? Before the written law of God, they were already obligated to follow the eternal, universal, moral law of God. The law of God did not come into existence when it was written down by Moses. Now we live in an era when Jesus has fulfilled the law of Moses, and we're no longer under that law, but the eternal, universal, moral law of God is still completely binding on us. Just as it existed before Moses, it exists now. However, you should be glad that we live in this time period and not in the time before, because we actually have the whole written scriptures that tell us a lot about what the universal law of God is. The people back in, in the time before did not have any written thing to guide them. They were guided in other ways by God to know what was right and what was wrong. Um, But because Jesus has fulfilled the law, we are no longer required to follow the specific applications of the law of Moses, but we are still required to obey the eternal universal moral law of God, and the law of Moses is a reflection of that. So I think by looking at a couple of examples from our passage here in Leviticus, it'll help us understand what I'm, what I'm talking about here. So let's take first uh, the instructions about harvesting our fields as a, as a good example of what we're, we're going to do here. So here's what it says here in Leviticus 19, verses 9 and 10. It says, When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. So the specific behavior being commanded here is pretty clear. When you're harvesting your crops, you need to intentionally leave some behind so that the poor and the foreigner who have no crops of their own, none of their own fields, will be able to come and gather what you have left behind. And this practice is, uh, is famously illustrated in the book of Ruth in the Bible, where Ruth is one of the poor foreigners who is coming and, and uh, gathering in Boaz's fields. This was a way to provide for the poor so that they wouldn't starve. So pretty clearly, though, we are not able to follow the command, uh, the, the exact behavior here, because we are not farmers and we do not have any crops. So, does that mean we don't have to worry about that because we don't have any fields to harvest, so we can just cross that out of our Bibles and we've lost nothing? No, no, because this is a reflection 
of God's will. It is a reflection of the eternal, universal, moral law of God. And until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter will by any means disappear from the law. So, what do we do with instructions like this? Well, we look at this command, and we do our best to determine what is the principle behind this. What is the principle of God's eternal, universal, moral law that this command about harvesting crops is a reflection of? So the principle in this case is that we must be concerned about the poor around us. And God wants us to have the attitude that we are willing to give up the maximization of our own profit for the sake of the poor. Because those farmers, when they leave that stuff in the field, that means they don't get it. They are giving away part of their crops. So how are we to apply that principle to our own situation? Well, it's not a super simple matter that really translates the harvest principle into our own. We can't just leave part of our work undone. And then somebody else comes and does the rest of our job and and gets part of our paycheck. It doesn't exactly work that way in the way that we have have our economy. Um, But the point for today is that the principle behind this command, which is concern for the poor and a willingness to sacrifice our own income on their behalf, is still today required of God's people, just like it was back then, even though the precise behavior that's commanded there in the law is not something that we follow today. And even if we were farmers today, the precise behavior being commanded wouldn't be very helpful. If uh, you know, somebody with a giant field leaves the corner of the field and poor people are supposed to go out there and harvest it or something, that, that just doesn't work in the way that our economy functions. And so we need a new application of the eternal principle. So another example we're going to look at is the four commands that we find in Leviticus 19, verses 27 and 28, where it says, do not cut the hair on the sides of your head or clip off the edges of your beard. Do not cut your bodies for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourselves. I am the Lord. This one is a little more mysterious. What is the eternal, universal, moral law principle behind these instructions? It's not obvious. And in fact, this one illustrates the point that sometimes we have to do some research and we have to figure out the historical situation in which this command was given in order to understand what is going on here. Why did God care about the way that they clipped their beards? So uh, these instructions, um, if we do some historical research, we find that it still isn't all that obvious, but there is a consensus among scholars that what the, uh, the law is talking about here is pagan religious practices that were being done by the Canaanite people uh, in the land that the Israelites were about to occupy. And so as part of their religion, they would have certain styles of haircuts and way they would trim their beards and, and different things that would uh, show their devotion to these false gods that they were worshiping. 
And, uh, and the practice of the, the, the true religious worship of the true God was not to be an imitation of the worship of false gods. And so just like God forbade them from, from making idols to represent him, they were also forbidden from following these practices relating to religious haircuts and beard trimmings and, and marking their bodies. Now, Christians have concluded that these practices, with the possible exception of cutting your bodies for the dead, are not evil in and of themselves. Right? We've decided that, uh, that they were forbidden because they were strongly associated with false religion. And so the principle of the universal moral law here is that we should not follow the practices of the false religions around us. Since in our own modern culture, these practices are not associated with false religions being practiced around us, it is uh, not a violation of the universal moral law to trim your beard or to get a tattoo. I want to give one more example that's a, a, a simpler example here. Leviticus 19.11, it says, Do not steal, do not lie, do not deceive one another. Now, these are a great illustration of the way actually most of the instructions in the Bible are. You read the, the instruction, do not lie. What is the eternal universal moral law principle behind that? It's do not lie. <laughs> um, and, and for actually most of the instructions that God gives us in the Bible, the, uh, the application being, uh, being commanded is exactly the same uh, for us today as it was back then. And how do we follow those laws? We follow them exactly the way those people would have followed them. And, uh, and so the, that's, that's actually the majority of what we find in the Scriptures is things that are very clear like that. Although we do find the ones like we illustrated about how you harvest the fields and how you, um, how you uh, trim your beard. But uh, other ones uh, are a little more tricky to apply. Things like the one about uh, how you treat foreigners who live among you. You want to talk about a, a passage that is relevant for the political dialogue today? Um, you want to know how we should treat foreigners? Don't ask politicians, study this section of the Bible and figure out what it is God is commanding us to do. So I want to conclude today with some guidelines for us to use when we see commands in the Bible. So here are three, three guidelines. First one is, we must never set aside the validity of the law of God. You never say, well, we can just scratch that one out. It doesn't matter. No, there is a universal principle behind every instruction, even, even ones that uh, are culturally no longer relevant, like the harvesting fields thing. Yeah, we don't have to leave the corners of our fields, but we still have to follow that rule. We just follow it differently than the people did back then. So we never set it aside. We never set aside the validity of any law of God. Number two, principle number, or guideline number two, we need to figure out the universal timeless principle that lies behind a particular commanded behavior. 
And like I said, a lot of the time, that's really easy. When he says, do not deceive your neighbors, we can see what the moral principle behind that is really clearly and easily. Um, When he says, don't cut your hair a certain way, it takes a little more study and, and, uh, and research to figure out what is he talking about there and what is the, the moral principle, the moral point of forbidding certain haircuts. But whether it's difficult or, or, or simple, that's what you have to do. You have to figure out what is going on here. We don't just say forget it. He said no tattoos, but we can have tattoos, so we just ignore it. No, you have to figure out why did he say not to get tattoos and see whether it still applies. Third one, ask whether that principle needs to be followed exactly as it was written or reapplied to our new situation. So once you, once you get an idea of why God commanded a certain thing, then you have to say, okay, so do I just do it just the way he said or do I now have freedom to uh, apply it in a different way to our new situation. And much of the time, you know, when it says honor your parents, yeah, that's what you do. Uh, There's no question about how to apply it. But um, other times, like when it says keep the Sabbath, that's still a valid command as well. But we don't keep it in the same way that people did in those days. So, I hope that that is helpful for all of us as we think about how Jesus did not come to abolish the law but came to fulfill the law and how we relate to the instructions in the Bible. And if you still have questions, Mike will be back soon and he'll explain it all to you. (laughs) So let's let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, you have revealed your eternal, universal, moral will to us and that we can know what it is that you require of us and know how to behave in a way that will be pleasing to you. And I pray that you would give us this strength of will to do the things that you command us to do. May we live our lives in a way that brings joy to you. Amen. Mm